When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mr. Mystery Guest. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Unless you want to open a front door for me. No, I'm afraid not. But you have me at a loss. You know my name, but who are you? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Another orphan of a bankrupt culture who thinks he's John Wayne, Rambo, Marshall Dillon. I was always kind of partial to Roy Rogers, actually. I really like those sequined shirts. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? yippee ki mother... That's right. Action movie rewind. Maybe the George Washington on the Mount Rushmore of action movies die hard today. I'm Mackie and Judd. We'll start with a scoop with Doogie. But let's talk about Luther Brookdale Toyota here. Speaking of Mount Rushmore, I mean, you want to talk about the Mount Rushmore of service departments and durable vehicles with good gas mileage. Luther Brookdale Toyota is the George Washington on the Twin Cities Mount Rushmore of car dealerships and service departments. Uh, you're you're probably taking some road trips this summer because it's it's a pretty safe thing to do, right? Go ahead and get out, you know, just socially distance with your family, get out, hike. I've done that a couple of times. Make sure your vehicle is running smooth and bring it into my friends on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard. They'll check everything, make sure you and your family are safe for any upcoming road trips. And even better, right now you can win up to a thousand dollars toward your repair bill if repairs need to be done, from Toyota, Luther Brookdale, Toyota, and 694 Brooklyn Boulevard is the location. LutherBrookdaleToyota.com is the website. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and ScoreNorth.com. I wanted this to be professional, efficient, adult, cooperative, not a lot to ask. Alas, your Mr. Takagi did not see it that way, so he won't be joining us for the rest of his life. We can go anywhere you want. You can walk out of here or be carried out. But have no illusions. We are in charge. And we are in charge because it's our show. It's Mackie and Judd, and it's Action Movie Rewind Friday, which we'll get into here in uh, in just a few minutes. But it's our weekly scoop session with Darren Doogie Wolfson to start the show off. We're just going to lead off with Doogie from The Scoop, which you can find on Apple, Spotify, and scorenorth.com. And you can find Doogie as part of the 5 Eyewitness News sports team, KSTP.com. Dukes, what's going on with you on this Friday? What's up, Phil? What's up, Judd? Hello, Declan. Are you guys doing Roadhouse again? Is that the action movie? Whoa, whoa. Die Hard, baby. Yeah, Roadhouse. Roadhouse is Roadhouse. a thing of the past now. That Roadhouse was four weeks good. ago. This is di- this is Bruce Willis getting the big break. Oh man, no, this is going to be great. Do you guys consider Die Hard a Christmas movie? That will be discussed. <laughs> that will be discussed. I've always I said no previously, but 
we're going to have an in-depth discussion on Die Hard and the tie-in to Lethal Weapon as well. So, mm. hey, hey, Dukes, I'm going to start you mm-hmm. off with this one. What is the Derrick Henry contract getting done in Tennessee in your mind and from people you talk to mean to the Dalvin Cook uh, contract situation here? I would say that the Cook camp paid particular attention to those Henry negotiations. I would say that initially – the Cook Camp actually wants a little bit more than what Derrick Henry got. Four years, $50 million, about $26 million in guaranteed. I think a little short of, of $26 million. Now, do I think in the end the Vikings make that offer? I don't. Do I think in the end that Dalvin absolutely would be steadfast on, on that or nothing else? I don't. I think there's enough wiggle room. Talking to some people close to Dalvin, including Alexander Madison, I was going to work out with a bunch of Vikings at an East Metro High School on Tuesday morning, I caught up with Alexander Madison for a while, and he's in constant correspondence with Dalvin. He's optimistic. He thinks Dalvin will be here. Now, it's not like he's got all this incredible insight, but he just feels like Dalvin has faith that something will work out. But I just don't know what the numbers ultimately will look like. And, you know, I mean, all these guys have egos, Judd. I mean, could he accept anything less than what Derrick Henry got? Now, the ultimate comeback is Derrick Henry stays healthy, right? But I think just, you know, in terms of importance to their team, I mean, I guess you could argue that Derrick Henry is the face of that offense, but Dalvin Cook is the face of the Vikings offense. I think they're very comparable when having that particular discussion. I just don't know, though, if if deep down, you know, when all these guys have egos, if Dalvin is willing to accept less than what Derrick Henry got. So we, we kicked this around a couple days ago, too, and it would make sense if Gary Kubiak is your offensive coordinator and Gary Kubiak has a track record of go back like 20 years. Even Terrell, Dav- I mean, Terrell Davis is one of the great running backs of all time. That dude was not a first round pick. We're talking late round picks or undrafted guys that Gary Kubiak has turned into all pro caliber running backs because of his scheming and because of uh, having the right offensive linemen that are mobile. And so if Gary Kubiak is your guy for this year and maybe even for the next couple of years, this is where question marks about Mike Zimmer's uh, tenure start to pop up, Doogie. Isn't it more likely that the Vikings would stand firm not paying a running back 12 or $13 million saying, well, listen, like we love you, Dalvin, but Gary Kubiak can turn Alex Madison into a 1,200-yard rusher too, so sorry. I understand that logic, Phil, but based on what Kubiak told us on the record going back multiple weeks, I mean, he was gushing about Dalvin how smart Dalvin is, how valuable Dalvin is to what he wants to accomplish as a whole when it comes to success or lack thereof that offense will have. So, yeah, I understand that, but I just don't buy it. Also, you're right. Like, do they have the right offensive lineman for Alexander Madison to be the bell cow for Mike Boone or Amir Abdullah to be that number two back? And I guess just look, go back to to week 16, that must-win game, right? They have Green Bay. At U.S. Bank Stadium, unfortunately, Dalvin was hurt. Look how much, and and it was the Mike Boone show, you know, that night. But just look how much that that running game struggled without Dalvin. Look at how much success they had in New Orleans in the playoff victory with a healthy Dalvin Cook. So I still think he's the face of that offense. I think it's a weird look when you're paying the quarterback so much money. I think there's an understanding that quarterbacks – get paid a lot, but I think in this case, because it's the path that the Vikings have chosen, that they're a run-first offense, and because Dalvin is the face of that offense, especially now with Stephon Diggs in Buffalo, I think they need to find a way to pay him. Here's the problem, boys. So I, I saw a report yesterday about the cap, and and owners for 2020, 
are basically asking for givebacks from players, and it's pretty substantial. And their um, their point is, if we don't have fans in stands, we're going to lose. And so we we need players to basically put X amount aside to give back to us for 2020. The players, not surprisingly, are like, well, excuse me, it, it, sorry. Um, the report I saw yesterday said the owners have told the players, if you don't do what we're telling you to do, we are going to roll the salary cap back for 2021 in pretty impressive fashion. So that to me, if you're the Vikings and that threat is real, Dukes, this is where the problem with extension talks and guaranteed money talks becomes a bit more difficult because if you give Cook what he wants right now and, and players don't accept the rollbacks that the owners want. We're talking about now going into 2021 with a substantially smaller cap. Do you want to tie up the last bit of what might be your cap or exceed it because of Dalvin Cook? So this, this if it's real, gets to be very dicey based on that. Well, it's incredibly dicey, I think, from, from multiple angles, Judd. I mean, if the Vikings want, I mean, they could play a game of chicken with Dalvin saying, okay, Dalvin, you know, we're not going to pay you play out the 2020 contract and we can always franchise tag you next off season. If ultimately what you want is unrestricted free agency, you need to report. Let's not forget that Dalvin does not get the year credit. If he's not there at the start of training camp, you know, so worst case scenario, I think Dalvin at least wants to get to unrestricted free agency. He doesn't want to be a restricted free agent next March, you know, but if you're the Vikings, do you want to do that? Do you want to do that with a really popular guy in the locker room? I can just tell you. I was talking to Madison on Tuesday. I talked to Tajay Sharp. There were a bunch of Vikings at this workout I was at on Tuesday. I can just tell you. Collectively, those guys think the world of Dalvin. Dalvin's as respected, including the quarterback, by the way. I'm not quite sure it's all that close. Dalvin might be the most respected player in that offensive meeting room. So, Doogie, um, we spent some time yesterday – Going down the rabbit hole of Timberwolves' <laughs> reckless speculation. and um, Reckless speculation. We traded the Timberwolves' highest first-round draft pick and Jarrett Culver and some other pieces to the Suns for four years, actually three years, of Devin Booker. There's a little bit of Devin Booker steam coming out there. There was a reporter from SNY in New York recently that said sometime earlier this week that uh, Devin Booker was very chapped that the Suns didn't make a play for D'Angelo Russell. The Timberwolves instead stepped in. Devin Booker's two best friends in the NBA are Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell. How much legitimacy is there, whether it's in the 2020 calendar year or sometime in the next year and a half or so, Devin Booker in a Timberwolves uniform? Gerson Rosasville is always going to go star chasing. If there's a chance to acquire Devin Booker, I can promise you Gerson Rosas is going to make the phone call. That being said, Booker is signed for multiple more years. It's not like the Suns have to trade him. If they trade him, I would imagine that they get at least, what, three, four, five legitimate offers. So then the question is, do the Wolves have the best offer on the table? There's a lot of disagreement, Phil, about this draft. Like, who is the consensus number one guy? If you end up with the number one pick, is that Anthony Edwards of Georgia? Is that LaMelo Ball? Is that Avdia, the, the really good player from Maccabi Tel Aviv? Is it James Wiseman, the big man who played a few games for Memphis? Like, I'm not quite sure the number one pick has the value it would have other years. Like last year, undoubtedly, right? Zion Williamson, give me that number one pick. 
not quite sure Phoenix would say, yeah, you be that number one pick. Over? No, I'm not quite sure he's ever going to figure out the shot. He'll be in the league a long time. He's got the motor. He can do some things defensively. He's the former number six overall pick. So there's always going to be a belief from some organization, and we can salvage something there. But it's not like teams are knocking down the Wolves' door saying, give me Jared Culver. I mean, what we saw his rookie year was pretty darn underwhelming, even though he came on a little bit toward the end of February into March. So I just don't know, Phil, if the Wolves can make the best offer. But you're right. He is best friends with Pat. He is best friends with D'Angelo Russell. Trust me. Uh, Rosas would make the phone call. He would try as hard as humanly possible to acquire Devin Booker. I'm telling you, I just don't know why Phoenix would have to trade him right this second. Are you buying, Doogie, that uh, Buxton and Sano will be in the lineup a week from today when the Twins open against the White Sox in Chicago? Yeah, I mean, you were on those Zoom calls, or maybe you weren't, Judd, but both guys talked to us in, in the last couple of days. Buxton said he's they playing both, for sure. Yeah, they're both really optimistic. I went back and forth with somebody close to Buxton. This particular individual is is pretty optimistic. I guess we need to see where they're at next week. you know. But yeah, I mean, with Buxton... You guys still there? My computer died for a second. I got to yep. figure out. I got my wife's laptop. <laughs> you can't make this up. I spilled coffee on my laptop a few weeks ago. It's dead. <laughs> it's it's unsalvageable. So I'm on my wife's old laptop. That I think COVID Chronicles. Atari. COVID yeah. Chronicles. Yeah, so for some reason, it just it, it starts to it starts to fade every every like ten or fifteen minutes. I got sounds like me these days. It sounds like Judd. Yeah, yeah, Judd fades every twelve minutes. <laughs> yeah. Actually, sounds like me around <laughs> seven p.m. on the couch. Yeah, he can relate. But anyway. I think we need to see where they're at. I can tell you just from watching some video of Miguel the other day, Miguel looks good. He was asymptomatic. It's not like he had, you know, a fever of 102 degrees. It's not like, you know, he was battling this thing, you know, on his deathbed per se. You know, he's been pretty good. He's been hitting in private, you know, and he's been doing work going back, you know, many, many weeks when he was when he was down in the Dominican. So, I mean, of the two, yeah, I don't see why Miguel certainly couldn't be in the lineup a week from today. But I'm Byron. I think we need to see where he's at. Early next week, I know he was still feeling a, a little bit of pain. He told us, Judd, he heard a pop, which is always a little alarming, even though there's nothing structurally wrong with the foot. Of the two, I would say I'm more optimistic on Miguel. I can tell you from back and forth, he's pretty close to Byron, and then listening to Byron himself, and I'll take him at face value. Byron does think he'll be in the lineup next Friday. Yep. All right, Doogie, we got to jump into an action movie rewind here. We'd love to talk to you for 10 more minutes, but Bruce Willis and, uh, and his... <laughs> And his top friend, uh, Reginald Vell Johnson, await. So we can find uh, more Doogie if you want to listen to full episodes of the Scoop podcast on Apple, Spotify, and scorenorth.com. And also check out kstp.com. Do you want two more? Phil, you want two more quick scoops? Sure. Rapid fire scoops. Sure. The Vikings never made a new offer to Anthony Harris. The last offer they made to Anthony Harris was back in March. So read into that however you want. But the two sides never came even remotely close to an extension with the deadline passing on Wednesday. And hometown kid, Zeke Najee, the Pac-12 freshman of the year, the star from the University of Arizona, former Hopkins High School star. He will interview with the hometown Wolves on Tuesday. Right on. That's Doogie. You can find him, KSTP.com and the Scoop Podcast. We'll talk next week. See you, buddy. (laughs) Represent. See you, boys. All right. Thanks, Diggs. All right. Uh, Action movie rewind time here in just a second. But a quick thank you to Federated Mutual Insurance Company for helping keep Score North Alive and uh, the Mackie and Judd Show and Purple Daily, which you can find both daily in podcast form and our YouTube channels, uh, youtube.com slash Mackie Judd, youtube.com slash Score North. 
So Federated's been helping business owners in the state of Minnesota for over 100 years, based in Owatonna. They, uh, they've been standing behind business owners during the last four months of pandemic times. This is just a very tumultuous year for business owners. Uh, I've, I've, I've seen so many different, especially restaurants, I've just seen so many different businesses either have to drastically modify what they're doing or close down entirely. So when it comes to risk protection, when it comes to pandemic policies, HR communications, there's so many resources that you can dive into when you partner with Federated. Uh, they measure their success by the success of their clients. And so it is a true partnership. Federatedinsurance.com to find out more information. And remember, at Federated Mutual Insurance Company, it's our business to protect yours. It's a very nice suit, Mr. Takagi. To be ashamed to ruin it. I'm going to count to three. There will not be a four. Give me the code. One, two, three. I don't know it. I'm telling you. Get on the jet to Tokyo and ask the chairman. I'm telling you, you're just going to have to kill me. Okay. Welcome to the party, pal. Action movie reviews with Mac, Judd, and Rami. Get to the chopper! Yippee-ki-yay, mother... Happy trails, Hans. I hope that's not a hostage. Just a devastating end for Hans Gruber at the end of Die Hard, which is our subject today on Action Movie Rewind. This is the 15th installment, I believe, or 16. I think it's the 16th installment of Action Movie Rewind every Friday on Mackie and Judd. And gentlemen, we go to the Mount Rushmore, potentially <laughs> the Mount Rushmore of action movies uh-huh. for Die Hard. Uh-huh. And we will give our own review of this. Declan has never seen it front to back. This was Declan's first viewing of Die Hard. The, the main, Not his last. No. Oh, no. Especially now that you know it's, it's on Christmas Eve pretty much every year because, spoiler alert for the debate later on in this episode, it is a Christmas movie. Yep. It took place on Christmas Eve at released a Christmas July, party. Released July 15th. Very Christmas. Happy anniversary this week. Happy Very Christmassy. 30 anniversary. 1988. Here's the summary. It's Christmas time in Los Angeles, and there's an employee party in progress on the 30th floor of the Nakatomi Corporation building. The revelry comes to a violent end when the partygoers are taken hostage by a group of terrorists headed by Hans Gruber. Get me my detonators. Alan Rickman, who, who died very recently. I rest huh. soul. Uh, what a what a, oh, what a great, great portrayal! Who planned to steal six hundred million dollars in uh, some type of bonds that were locked in Nakatomi's high tech safe with seven security checkpoints that they had to hack through? In truth, Hans Gruber and his henchmen are only pretending to be politically motivated to throw the authorities and the FBI off track. Also, in truth, Hans Gruber has no intention of allowing any of the hostages to get out of the building alive. Meanwhile, New York cop John McClane, Bruce Willis, has come to Los Angeles to visit his estranged wife, Holly, who happens to be one of the hostages as well. Disregarding the orders of the authorities surrounding the building, McClane, who fears nothing except heights, takes on the villains armed with one handgun and plenty of chutzpah. Bruce Willis 
Alan Rickman, legendary TV cop Reginald Vell Johnson, Paul Gleason as the incompetent cop from the L.A. Police Department, 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, $25 million budget turned into $125 million at the box office, and a lot more in future earnings and royalties. We'll start with Judd Zolged. What was your favorite part of Die Hard? This is so fantastic. I'm so excited to start <laughs> this conversation in, right now. Strap in. I am so excited. Welcome to the party. Uh, so I have five things written down. Like, I couldn't stop. It's like favorite two, favorite three, favorite. But I'm going to I'm going to isolate it to one thing. And yes, it, it might not be considered a key part of the film. But I love the character. I love his death. I love everything about this. The ultimate killing of Harry Ellis after Harry buddies up to Hans and tries to sell out McLean and thinks and Ellis thinking that he can outsmart everybody because he does deals, man. These guys, I'm I'm just doing a deal here. Hans, booby. And they they bring him a can of Coke and he's drinking (laughs) a Coke and he's selling McLean out and McLean's like, shut up. you." That's not the only type of Coke that Ellis. Oh, no. He liked it a lot. In fact, McLean said you missed some when when he walked in. Uh, But but the but there's so many things about this film that are that are one-offs and so fantastic and that character man like you could have gone out and just been like okay let's get a decent character here you know and we'll kill him and it's really not that it's a perfect character you hate him so much that that there are several locations where you are torn between hans and person x or the police at times right Harry Elf, you hate him so much, you are, I would say, ecstatic to see him die. Yes. And the other thing that they do a very good job of, for the most part, in this film, I believe when they shoot people, they never show them being shot. Oh, they did. They did a couple times. There was there was blood. Oh, there was oh no, 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 no. Plenty but, of blood. No, but I'm but I'm saying when when they're going to basically assassinate a person. Oh, like, like well, no, they, I mean, like if McLean shoots you, they show that. But but Takagi got Ta- his brains, but they don't out. show it. Yes, they, yeah, they, they, yes. they just show the blood. They never show. They never show him being shot. Well, they, you but, you see a rear view and you see the blood splatter, but you never see his head. This is a very critical review of blood and killing. But it's it's how they do things. It was. I'm I'm celebrating were, were, this film. Were you asking to like see the bullet go through Takagi's forehead? I'm saying in a lot of these films they'll show a person being shot and like they spasm and then just die. I also think that might be the difference, like like in terms of what what's the movie. This is a rated R movie, obviously, but I think if you were to actually show like a bullet going through a guy's head in 1988, I think we're more I think we're more okay with that now than we were anyway, in 1988. Anyway, the Ellis character, his demise, his lines, everything about him and his lines. I want and his lines, <laughs> everything about Harry Ellis, I would like to celebrate. So, I I wrote down some notes about Ellis who is as Judd says, an all-time great character. Not even really a villain, just kind of a what would you call He's him? He's a slime ball. He's a sleaze ball. He's a sleaze ball, yeah. So the movie basically starts like they show the party and mm-hmm. and you're you're showing Bruce Willis at the airport, then they go to the party scene and and the party scene starts with Ellis putting the moves on McLean's wife and he says, "Quote, hey, what do you say we get out of here? A bottle of wine, mm-hmm. some aged brie and a roaring fireplace." Like who who walks and up to a says, woman? She says it's Christmas Eve. Declan, you're a single guy. Declan, do you ever slide yeah. into someone's DMs on like Tinder or somewhere and say, "Listen, babe, how about you and me tonight? How about you and me tonight? A little bottle of wine, some aged brie. Like some aged brie is the second I, thing that he's using to I can lure. tell you right now, I would never 
woo a woman with brie. Okay. No he, matter he, how much women love cheese, it's just not happening. Here's a challenge for Declan. Let's find the exact line that Ellis used. A bottle, I think it's a bottle of wine, some aged brie, and a roaring fireplace. I want you to send that to someone that you match with on Tinder sometime in the next. I think month. you got to okay. say, I, no, no. I think you got to say it, man. I <laughs> think you got to say it. I don't think it can be sent <laughs> electronically. I'm, I'm not on a selfie video. I'm not on Tinder. Number one, I, I have stance. Tinder is like the garbage. Okay, match.com. Match.com. Or maybe match. I, I've yet to. I'm at the point in that side conversation here of Action Movie Rewind. I'm at the point where, like, if I'm going to do online dating, I want to, like, go all in and do, like, a legitimate one and not use, like, the app based free ones that are just simple to use, like, a lot of 20 somethings. Maybe this is our chance to create a new one. Maybe like it is. Actionmoviedating.com or something. With Declan. Yeah. We can, we can just sell it just <laughs> like that. It'd be amazing. That is a very so, frightening thought. The second time we see Ellis, he's doing cocaine on Mr. Nakatomi's desk. And John McClain, Nakatomi McClain, and the McClain's wife walk in. He's sitting, like, it's this massive office, 30th floor, overlooking Los Angeles, and he's just doing lines on Mr. Nakatomi's, yes. or not Mr. Nakatomi, Mr. Takagi's uh, desk. And then uh, and then later on, he play, tries to play mediator uh, and does the The mediator movie. stuff is hilarious. I'm though. your white knight. The guy upstairs is screwing things up. I can give them to you. Yeah. It's not what I want. It's what I can give you. <laughs> Look. Let's be straight, okay? It's obvious you're not some dumb schmuck up here to snatch a few purses, am I right? You're very perceptive. I watch 60 ah. Minutes to say to myself, these guys are professional, they're motivated, they're happening, i.e., they want something, huh? Now, personally, I couldn't care less about your politics. Maybe you're pissed off at the camel jockeys, maybe it's the Heaves, Northern Island. It's none of my business. I figure you're here to negotiate, am I right? You're amazing. You figured this all out already. Hey, <laughs> business is business. You use a gun, I use a fountain pen. What's the difference? Let's put it in my terms. You're here in a hostile takeover. You grab us for some green mail, but you didn't expect some poison pill was going to be running around in the building. Am I right? Hans. Hans. Booby. I'm, I'm your, your white, white knight. knight. Oh, God. <laughs> so what, what, how great is that? So good. Like, like, that's basically a throwaway part. It's unnecessary, but it's crucial. Uh, it's Absolutely, dude. You know? All right. Anyway, that's my favorite. Well, and we'll circle back around this man thing. So, Declan, this is your first time watching this movie somehow from front to back. <laughs> yeah. What was your favorite part about Die Hard? I mean, all of it. It it literally was everything I wanted it to be. It's not just on the Mount Rushmore, I think, of action movies. I think this is on the Mount Rushmore of one of the best movies of all time. Oh! This is wow. a wow. phenomenal film. Oh, my God. I wow. loved it. I was a little completely. worried Declan would come in here. <laughs> It was amazing. Wow, Catherine Hepburn and Marlon Brando object. That is, uh, wait, is fun. Wait, are, you don't think it was a cinematic masterpiece? We had drama. We had storylines. We had perfect characters. It, we had good versus evil. It yeah. is It is a... We had Reginald Bell Johnson. It is a marvelous work of 1980s action cinema. Yes. I thoroughly enjoyed that they wasted no time. Getting into blood and like I think it, I even hit pause because I wanted to see like man that was quick and it was like at the 19 minute mark that the guy breaks into security and says and he's talking about the Notre Dame game whatever shoots the security guard and boom we are underway I thought that was great I loved Argyle the driver he like yes. I, I think if I could relate to any character I would be the driver you, in that you, scenario you, you are Argyle I'm totally Argyle <laughs> you're the white version of Argyle yeah. Yeah. my boss thinks I'm going to Vegas baby it's like he's just hanging out and the moment when he said like oh just go in the parking garage even I was like oh this dude's gonna play an integral part in the ending of this film and the police car going as you see 
Um, the cop's car going backwards past the parking garage and like Argyle completely misses it. Yeah. Like there's a bunch of just little good stuff that's hilarious that he is oblivious to until he turns on the TV in the yes. limo. But I do think my favorite part is when uh, McLean's on the roof and he's trying to he's on his walkie. But he's trying to get a hold of like the hotline and then he drops oh the God. ordering pizza line. Mayday, mayday. Anyone copying Channel 9? Terrorists have seized the Nakatomi building and are holding at least 30 people hostage. I repeat, unknown number of terrorists, six or more, armed with automatic weapons at Nakatomi Plaza, Century City. That's the best place to transmit. The roof. Go, go! It's the same address as that fire signal. I'll handle it. Attention, whoever you are, this channel is reserved for emergency calls only. Lady, do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? I love okay. that line. Who is this incompetent <laughs> idiot on the other line, yeah. the other end of the emergency? And she even references it's coming from the same place as the fire, the fire call that was made earlier. It's like, okay, idiot. So we've had a fire alarm pulled at a massive skyscraper business complex, and now somebody is calling in an additional emergency and saying shots have been fired. And your first reaction is, sir. You need to call 911. This is for emergencies only. I'm not here to help you. You're the scary, fired. The scary thing about that scene, that part of it, completely plausible. Like, I could easily see a person in authority be, being like, they're mad that they're working that. on Christmas you can't be Eve. calling us. Yeah. It's an emergency channel, but he is. <laughs> Declan's right. The pizza line is just a great line. So good. So, my favorite part <laughs> about Die Hard, among other things, is Hans Gruber. In fact, Oh, yeah. I'm just going to jump ahead. Hans Gruber is the greatest action movie villain in history. I agree. And we will get to our official rankings, and we will flush that out even even more. Uh, but he, to me, is the perfect movie villain terrorist because a lot of these sort of terroristic or these, these like, all the villains that we've seen that are sort of in this category, whether it's Air Force One, all the movies that we've reviewed to this point in this uh, glorious segment, Usually they're just evil and maybe even stupid, but like they're evil and they're manly and they're going to go blow things up and that's it. But Hans Gruber had many layers to him. So he's definitely evil. He's also very smart and sharp. And like even oh, that, yeah, that clip Declan played where it's like he immediately figures out that John McClane's on the roof because that's where you would transmit with your walkie talkie. He's kind of funny and charming too. Like he compliments Mr. Mm. Takagi's suit in the elevator before he kills him. Mr. Takagi, he's got, got three. Just I've got, got three myself. of them himself. I can't not hear Professor Snape from here, and I'm not even a Harry Potter guy, but I, I just all I hear is Snape. And I know he's a very decorated actor too. So it's Rickman, not just, yeah, I love him. He's, um, he's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and he's also very resourceful. He fakes the American accent when John McClane catches him. That's another one of on my one of favorite floors. parts. It's sort of like this Southern dialect too. It was yeah. It was definitely like. Is Alan Rickman British? What's his What's his origin? I believe he accent? is. Okay. Yes. So I he was kind he of was. like doing like second and third level accents and going back and forth between two accents that aren't actually his. Uh, and so I just like everything about him was amazing. And and I'll even circle in like sort of my second favorite part of this movie is the entire building takeover scene, which you guys kind of touched on. Uh, so Hans Gruber's band of terrorists, they enter the building, they shoot the security guards, the computer hacker guy starts getting into the, the, the building systems. You got the gun toting Eastern Europeans, like they're laying it all out for you. You've got smart hacker guy, you've got Hans Gruber, who's the smart leader, and then you've got these sort of like rockhead guys with AK 47s that are from some part in Eastern Europe, like Germany or wherever. And they're not smart. 
No, no they're mostly just like roided up idiots. Genius. They're all yep. sort of dumb. They cut the phone lines. They overtake the Christmas party. Hold everyone hostage. Um, and 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 Hans goes looking for Joe Takagi, who's this top executive at the Nakatomi Corporation. And he just starts walking up to all the old Japanese guys Knows everything and starts about listing the credentials <laughs> yes. of Joe Takagi. Yes. Went to Stanford, graduated in 1958, three kids, and played football. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there was an internship, too. Yeah. He, he like knew about an internship in, like, 1942 for Joe. And so he wants access to the computer that controls the locked vault, which contains the $640 million in untraceable bearer bonds. And so he says to Joe Takagi, the code, please. And Joe Takagi's just sweating up a storm like, "Ah, ah, even if you get get the code, there's seven lines of security. I'm going to count to three. And then he blows his brains out. And in this line that we already played a few minutes ago, but it's worth playing again. Like this line, this is all sort of setting up the whole movie, right? And this line just sets everything up. It's a very nice suit, Mr. Takagi. To be ashamed to ruin it. I'm going to count to three. There will not be a four. <laughs> Give me the code. One, two, three. I don't know it. I'm telling you. Get on the jet to Tokyo and ask the chairman. I'm telling you, you're just going to have to kill me. Okay. Okay. I wanted it to be professional, efficient, adult, cooperative. Not a lot to ask. Alas, your Mr. Takagi did not see it that way, so he won't be joining us for the rest of his life. <laughs> you can go anywhere you want. You can walk out of here or be carried out. But have no illusions. We are in charge. He won't be joining us for the rest of his life. That is such a great line. Now, now I would say tactical mistake by Joe saying, and by the way, he sort of calms down and then says, you're just going to have to kill me. Yeah, you don't need like if, he, if no, I'm facing no Hans, no if I'm facing Hans, gun in hand, I'm probably not saying to Hans, yeah, you're just gonna have to kill me. That's the thing. Like Hans brought a professional computer hacker with him. And so yeah. Hans has the leverage. He says, Listen, I'd I'd rather just get the code from you. Yeah. And the hacker was in the room. So Joe Takagi knew that there was a hacker in the room. So listen, I, I hacking this is gonna be a pain in the ass. It's gonna take me an hour. I'd rather just get the code from you. Joe Takagi, zero negotiation leverage in that spot. Tactical air by him for sure. Let's go to the least favorite thing. I know we all agree that this is an amazing movie, but um, but Joe, what was your least favorite thing or your most like nitpicky thing right. about Die Hard? And this is a reoccurring problem that I have with with movies of this ilk. Okay, but this was especially exposed in Die Hard. Are you going the football angle here? No. Okay, that's where I'm going. No. For for the most part, for the most part, if somebody sees trouble coming, they just shoot him and kill him, right? Yeah. Except when you're dealing with your heroes, you can't do that. So whether it be um, Mel Gibson's character in the Lethal Weapon franchise or uh, John McClane in Die Hard, where he could have just been shot and disarmed immediately, they always turn it into a fight scene. And it's like it's like there are moments where the bad guy just has a gun on, when you talking about him and when him and Carl fight for like ten yes, minutes. Yes, exactly right. I love how that guy's name was Carl. Yeah, yeah, Carl. Yes, uh, yeah. But either Ca- one Carl's of Carl's brother died. Now he's pissed. But Carl, <laughs> but Carl could have just shot him like four times, yeah, and instead, and there there were like there were two or three in instances, or or this John McClane must have set 
a record in that film for being missed by machine gun fire. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, at some point in time, one of those yeah. bullets that is just flying past him constantly is going to hit him. Like, how about when he's on the roof and he's just yes. at the end of the movie, he's trying to get all the hostages to get off the roof because the roof is wired to explode. Yes. And the two FBI agents that both have the same last name, Johnson, Johnson. No, and they no, are, no relation. And they are hilarious. Yeah, they're good. Uh, one of the guys... Their lines are great. Uh, one of the guys, I feel like uh, the the black one is from other action movies in the 80s. I think he might have even been in Lethal Weapon. There's a lot of, like recycled characters in some of these movies. Yes. The other Johnson was actually one of the villains in an 80s Bond movie. He played Sanchez in one of the like lesser known Bond movies. I think it was in 1987 or 89. So he went back to back years. But those dudes are up in this helicopter, and the and the one guy goes, "It's just like Saigon and Nam." (laughs) And then the guy goes, "I, (laughs) I was in junior high." (laughs) <laughs> That's the response of the, the one guy to his colleague. I have never been so happy to see two authority figures die as yeah. when that copter this blew movie, up. This movie was was very anti LAPD and very anti FBI. Just made, made sort of ahead of its FBI time, perhaps. Huh? Very bad. Sort of, but yes. My my thing was, I appreciate the fact that. McLean's character didn't die, but my God, nobody's ever been missed by more bullets throughout the course. And I'm yeah. talking machine gun fire as John McLean. And, and his and his foot injury was from stepping on glass too, right? It wasn't Correct. a bullet. Yes, that was that's a that's another genius move by Hans Gruber. <laughs> he tries to tell him in German, he shoot the glass. And he finally looks back and like shoot the glass, shoot the glass, and McLean's feet are all bloody. Uh, Declan, your least favorite part or most nitpicky part of Die Hard? Uh. I don't have one. I seriously don't have like a, it was a little long, but like I was thoroughly entertained for yeah. the majority wow. of the film. I agree with this. Um, at first, at first I, I was upset about this, but I realized it was, it was part of his, his shtick when, um, when, when Hans goes up. Yeah. Hans, when Hans goes up to see McLean and I'm like, well, how does McLean not recognize his voice? Like he's been talking on a walkie. He must know it. And then he's quizzing him, and he's like, well, who do you, what do you work here? And somehow he even pulls out a name. Clay. Yeah. Bill Clay. Bill he, Clay. He looks at the sign on the back. They both do. Yeah. Yeah. And game, I, game of chicken. And Bill I even was Clay. like, well, wait a minute. Like, he has to know, and he hands him a gun, and I'm like, there's no way. Like, this yeah. is this seriously going to happen like this? And it was all part of a great plan by McLean. They were both playing each other. Like, yeah, McLean wasn't totally sure, but right. it was... And then the, actually, like, the, the cultural genius of Hans Gruber, knowing that W.M. Clay is William Clay and stands for Bill, like a shortened version of Bill. Oh, no, he's not from America. No, he's he's from Germany. No, he was good. A common thief, too. A common thief. We (laughs) thought he had a higher calling. Yes. No, but I I had, even in my notes, I have no least, usually I have a least favorite part of this movie. I don't. I thought it was phenomenal from start to finish. I got two nitpicks. Okay. All right. I saw your tweet. This was pretty funny. Let's start with that one. Let's start with that one, okay? So a security guard, at first I thought it it was a German security guard faking a southern accent, but then later in the movie... He did yell something, like something panicked, and the guy clearly was from America. So Hans had a couple guys from America on his staff. Uh, so, so this guy's watching as he, he they kill the security guards, and now he's watching football at the desk. This is Christmas Eve, okay? And he's watching a Notre Dame football game at night, L.A. time. Right. So, so L.A. time at night, presumably it's like, I don't know, 6, 7, 8 o'clock at night because the sun is down. It's winter, so the sun goes down earlier. And he's watching a Notre Dame football game on Christmas Eve of 1988 that's clearly being played in the daytime, okay? A couple things. In 1988, 
my Notre Dame squad was the number one team in the country. They ain't playing on December 24th, okay? They're playing nobody on is. January 1st. And so I looked that up. I said, who's playing football on Christmas yeah, Eve? Yeah, nobody. There was a bowl game on Christmas Eve of 1988. Yeah, who was it? Was it? The, it was the Sun Bowl. Okay. And I can't remember which two teams played, but they had the independence. Uh, the Gophers? No, they didn't make no. a bowl game in 88, did they? 86? The, yes. Gof- uh, the, the, the three bowl games in and around Christmas, you had the Independence Bowl on like the 23rd, mm-hmm. the Sun Bowl, I think, on the 24th, and then you had the Aloha Bowl on the 25th. So my biggest nitpick is Notre Dame is the number one college football team in the country in 1988. This movie is set to take place on Christmas Eve at a Christmas Eve party. Someone has to come in from a continuity standpoint and say, this doesn't make sense. And plus, it's being played in the daytime. <laughs> now, somebody tweeted at me and said the movie was originally supposed to take place, the setting was supposed to take place on Thanksgiving. Oh. And it was maybe going to be like a Thanksgiving party, or I don't know what it was. And so uh, Notre Dame and USC oftentimes do play at the end of the schedule, which would be closer to Thanksgiving before you get oh. to uh, bowl season. So that was nitpick number one. Like, there should just be somebody. This happens in sports movies a lot, too, where, like, yeah, like they need someone from a continuity perspective to say, all right, um, yeah, the lineup didn't. You guys only had four batters before Pedro Serrano came back up. Like, you need to. Right. Or, like. You know, he batted in three consecutive innings or something, and there was only one run on the board. Like, mathematically, that's not possible. My other nitpick was the fact that the Nakatomi Company and Corporation holds an elaborate and elegant Christmas party on Christmas Eve. Who are these people that are showing up, snorting cocaine and getting bombed <laughs> and screwing each other yeah, in the yeah. in the hey, conference room? It's Hollywood, like, man. It's like, California. Who is showing up? Like, do these people not it's have California. family? So these people don't have family. Yeah. They, they don't have kids. Well, no, they probably it's do. It's Christmas Eve. They're, they're just morally bankrupt. <laughs> I guess. It's California. They they allude to to and mock California yeah. a lot. Yeah, that's true. But, like, does it make you feel if those hostages would have all been mowed down by that machine gun on the top of the roof? Whatever. Knowing that they clearly don't have kids or family, like, Whatever. would you have felt differently? No, it's I don't. A, why, like, why are the they carnage, it's Christmas Eve? The carnage did not matter here. Like the carnage of ancillary characters to me, I don't care what they did with them. Did you guys not find it weird that they were doing this on Christmas? Eve? Christmas parties don't happen on Christmas Eve. They happen on like December fifteenth. You don't right. understand right. Hollywood, man. <laughs> this is Hollywood. Saying it's Century City. Um, where here's another question for you guys. Where does John McClane's his his fly in the ointment performance here, like the the whole two and a half hours of John McClane? Yep. Rank among all-time great action movie performances. I'm not talking about Bruce Willis's performance. I'm talking about John McClane is barefoot with a handgun, and there are 14 terrorists or 12 terrorists with heavy artillery, smart guys, mm-hmm. and he is systematically taking them out one by one. I mean, where does it rank? Like Rambo has got to be up there. It's certainly had a Rocky who's just fist fighting another human being. Can I? Can I also? Um credit the, the character of McLean with having so many great lines as well. Oh, yeah. Like, he he is a fly in Hans's ointment, but he's also got all of this great dialogue, which, of course, Rambo does not have because he barely talks. It's near the top, man. It's very close to the top. The, the complete package of John McLean and, and the way he's written and built up, it's really damn good. I, I would say... Just to ballpark it, I would say it's top three for sure for me. He's incredible. 
He is honestly incredible. He gets off the plane. He's dealing with his now like separated wife. He's got a kid at home and he's in New York. She's in L.A. She's also now like maybe remarried or has taken a new last name. Like also, I it's, need her, to, it's her maiden name. It is I her believe. maiden name. Yep. OK, I need a little clarification on that. I wasn't sure if, if she was remarried or, or she just took her old name. So yep. I, I thought that was interesting. And then he comes in and, you know, there's still some angst between the two. She slams the photo down after hanging up the phone with her daughter and then just boom, goes right into insane it, like he's a cop you know so he's like oh what's going on you know i hear a ruckus and he's got his revolver out and then it just turns into like an insane psycho killing spree but also very technical not like just oh, i have a gun and i'm gonna mow you all down like yeah. extremely when he sends the dude down in the chair with ho 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 i have an assault rifle now it's one of the greatest <laughs> moves ever it's amazing and i'm assuming he wrote that text very well by the way uh with no mistakes in the guy's blood i think that's yeah, what good, it, i think for him yes. Yeah, a lot yes. of pressure there. Like, you only get one take at that. He yeah. doesn't, he only has the one shirt. Yeah, I mean, you know, the fact that he was barefoot, only had the handgun, he's luring bad guys one by one to various places in the building and, and taking care of them. Uh, I think the move to save the hostages by scaring them off the roof and back down the stairs was another savvy move. And then taping the handgun to his back with only two bullets, by the way. Mm-hmm. Two villains left, two bullets, handgun taped to the back. Boom, boom, you miss one of those shots. It's over. Or you kill your wife because she was standing there, too. So uh, I've got some notes from Wikipedia here. Have you guys read through the casting section of this movie? I'm on it right now because it's bit. absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So uh, I'll read through this and and some of the names that were thrown out here. So Bruce, just to set this up, Bruce Willis, before 1988, was not at all on the radar as an action movie star. In fact, he was uh, he and was mostly just uh, yeah, he was in the that five-year yeah. series Moonlighting with Sybil Shepard. Which, by the way, was incredibly popular. Did you watch I did not, but my friends did, and it did it did really well for a long time. So, th- uh, though the main character names differed, as Die Hard was based on the novel uh, sequel to the detective film, the studio was contractually obligated to offer Frank Sinatra the role because, this, like, apparently there was a deal, like th- there was a script that was written two decades prior or something. Seventy-year-old <laughs> Frank Sinatra doing that role, and like, if the movie ever came to fruition. That Frank Sinatra was the first one that would have dibs at the starring role. Yep. Well, Frank Sinatra was 70 plus years old at the time. He declined. And so that was the first. Whew, okay, thank God. Because I don't know how Frank You would Sinatra... almost have to bail on the entire project if, yes. if old Blue Eyes had been like, you know what? I want the part. Oh, yes. So the role was offered to and declined by these people. So Bruce Willis, John McClane, this role was declined by these people. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Who gets a shout out. Yep. 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 Sylvester Stallone. Who gets a shout-out. Yep. yep. Rambo. Richard Gere. Clint Eastwood. Ooh, Clint Harrison fun. Ford. Burt Reynolds. Nick Nolte. Mel Gibson. Coming off Die Hard. Or yeah. coming off Lethal Weapon. Yes. Don Johnson. Yes. Richard Dean Anderson. And Paul Newman. That's a weird one. Paul Newman. Okay. I could see Paul Newman being older. maybe a sneaky bad guy. A good yes, bad guy. I could, I could sure. see him being a sneaky good bad That's guy. That's a good yeah. one. Uh, the prevailing action archetype of the era was muscle-bound, invincible macho men like Arnold Schwarzenegger, an established star who had built himself up. Schwarzenegger wanted to move away from action films at the time and into comedy and turned down the role to star in Twins instead. Thank God. Good. <laughs> Bruce Willis was mainly known for his comedic role as the detective David Addison on the romantic comedy television series Moonlighting, starring opposite Sybil Shepard. Though not the producer's first choice, Willis still declined the role because of his contractual obligations to Moonlighting. However, when Sybil Shepard fell pregnant, production of the show was shuttered for 11 weeks, giving Willis enough time to take the role. So Bruce Willis Hmm. takes the role as like the 15th choice. And people, 
what happened was there's a great Netflix special that dives into all of this. Like it's a full deep dive into Die Hard. It's like uh, really like the movies that made us or something oh, like that. Oh, the movies that made us. Yeah. Great yeah, series. It's I've great. seen some of it. Yep. And the initial reaction when people heard it, it was Bruce Willis. Like people literally like like laughed when they when they did an initial screening of the movie. So they did the movie. They recorded everything. And it, it was kind of in post-production. Mm-hmm. And they showed it to a group of people, mm-hmm. and when Bruce Willis's name popped up, and they were doing some, you know, some like, uh, what do you call it, uh, focus group testing, people laughed like Bruce Willis, like the guy from Moonlighting, is going to save this building. And by the end of the movie, it was like standing ovation. Oh, he's great! <laughs> oh yeah. my god, this guy's ridiculous. So, who, who off this list of potential um, folks that they asked to play the role before uh, they give it to Bruce, who off this potential list would have been as good as? As Willis was in Die Hard. Can, can we get get the list in front of you again? Schwarzenegger. Yes. So and I don't know a lot about Richard Dean Anderson. Uh, so I, I'll probably take him off the list. So Schwarzenegger, Stallone, Richard Gere, Clint Eastwood, Harrison Ford, Burt Reynolds, Nick Nolte, Mel Gibson, Don Johnson, Paul Newman. I actually think Schwarzenegger would have been great in this movie. I think we can rule out Richard Gere. I think that's just a hard out. That's a hard out for me, at least. I don't think you'd yeah, be able to do this. I don't get that one. Yeah, I don't get that one. People would have said that about Bruce Willis, yeah. too. True. Stallone, Stallone? Stallone? No. Stallone wouldn't have done the lines as well, I really don't think. Like, I don't think... I think, be, I think it depends how you view the lines. Well, and, and the lines <laughs> might have been different, too. Yeah, I interpret Also, it. like, I feel like Stallone, when you compare Stallone to Schwarzenegger in the 80s, I think Stallone is made to just, like, be in the woods, like, you know, like, he's, fighting, he's fighting armies in the You're woods. You're stereotyping him as Rambo, John Rambo. Schwarzenegger's a little bit more domesticated, I feel like. Schwarzenegger you know? would have been funny w- with with the dialogue. Yes. Like, he would have delivered it in sort of a funny way. Stallone, yeah. I feel like, would have grunted. <laughs> I could see Don Johnson in this, actually. Yes. I mean, Don Johnson from Miami Vice. Agree completely. You could probably pretty much just take Harrison like, the Ford. same character. Harrison Ford, yes. Yeah, yeah, I could see Harrison he, Ford. He could have done that role. I mean, he basically played this role in Air Force One. Yeah. Right? It was just on a plane. Just get off my plane. Get off my Burt, plane. Burt Reynolds, I feel, would have been a little bit too old for the role at that part. I, I don't know that Burt Reynolds would have been great. Nick Nolte could have done the role. Yeah. Yeah, Nick Nolte. He's 48 hours, right? Which yes. we should probably do at some point. Which is here. a fantastic movie. Love that movie, too. Um, All right. Next, next question for you guys here. Let's get to the one that we posed last week. Sure. What's more of a Christmas movie, Lethal Weapon or Die Hard? I'm so going. Lethal yeah. Weapon opens with Christmas music, closes with Christmas music, and it takes place in and around Christmas. I don't think it's close. I think it's Die Hard. Yeah. Eight out of ten. I, it, it's it's completely Die Hard. Like Lethal yeah. Weapon, there isn't. You don't really notice it until like you're at his house. Yeah, you're at the you're at Danny Glover's house and. And then you kind of, I think there's maybe subtle Christmas music at the end, there's maybe? A Chris, there's a Christmas tree. I'll give there's you that. There's a Christmas tree, and yeah, there's a yeah, Christmas tree Yeah, they start lot, and end but with it. there's much more Christmas vibes in Die Hard than Lethal Weapon. The fact that the whole thing takes place at a Christmas party right. in Die Hard is very important here. I agree. It's very important. But as I've said, it could have been, it could have also been around, as, as you said before, a Thanksgiving party. It could have been around 4th of July. But I realized, I come to realize why they did it. It's a it is, I think, a very subtle jab at at California and Christmas based on this lethal weapon release date, March 6th, 87 Die Hard, July 15th, 88. There is no question that there is a wink wink between those two films set set in in California, right in L.A. Basically, both of those films to me are sort of mocking this whole thing that that one 
we're going to make a Christmas film that's not going to be re- released near Christmas. That's important. But the other thing, too, is, of course, California does nothing and has no ability to remind you of Christmas. But I think the Lethal Weapon Die Hard tie-in is important, that both of those films sort of like winked at each other and, and basically said, we're going to do Christmas films not at Christmas. Yeah, that's fair. And very and and not based around snow on the ground, but I think it's just a. I think both films are incredibly creative. Yeah, like both films are fun and creative, and instead of just being action films where they have a lot of people die, I think they both did a really good job of subtly working stuff in. Yeah, they also like they built up characters so well that they then had like two, three, four sequels, and yes. at some point. At some point, I do think we should do Die Hard 2, because Die Hard 2, while not quite as iconic and good as Die Hard 1, is also very, very good, and it takes place at an airport, I think, on Christmas, so they just go from like a building to an airport, and they do Die Hard 2. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, any other, before we get to a couple of our other categories here, any other observations and notes from, from Die Hard here? The next category is your favorite character in the movie. And I've got two that we have not talked about yet. Okay. Should we dive into those? Sure. Okay. Yep. Honorable mention for uh, the actor uh, William Atherton, who played the TV reporter that got punched out at the end. <laughs> yeah. The aggressive TV, TV reporter. He, he's, he basically played a similar role in this movie. And then he was an integral part of Die Hard 2, as you'll find out at some point, too. He was, a, he was on the plane, like reporting from a plane okay. that's being hijacked. And uh, he basically plays the same character, but in a different job line of work as he did in Ghostbusters in 1984. He was the guy in Ghostbusters that went into the Ghostbusters building where they where they house all of the ghosts in their like electronic trap system. Yep. And he demands he works for the city or something. He demands that they shut the power off from their ghost storage system. Right. And he basically like unleashes ghosts all throughout New York City. So, so he oh, had that a, was him. Okay, yeah. yeah. He had a nice run it. for like five years where he just played like the same just buffoons. bad bad guy, aggressive character. <laughs> but my favorite character in this movie mm-hmm. is Reginald Vell Johnson, <laughs> who has made a legendary career as an on-screen police officer. Yes. Die Hard, Ghostbusters. He was a jail guard in Ghostbusters. Okay. He was obviously Carl Winslow for like 10 years on Family Matters. Phenomenal show. Yep. Chicago police officer in that case. So he's been an L.A. police officer, a Chicago police officer, a New York police officer in Ghostbusters. He was a detective in Turner and Hooch. He was Tom Hanks's like sidekick in Turner and Hooch. That's going deep. And I've never seen Plain Clothes, but apparently he was also a cop in Plain Clothes. And and what they did storyline wise with him, where he kind of subtly mentions near the beginning of the movie a side story of him shooting a kid on accident when he was a rookie cop many years ago. Yes. And now he's gun shy and he's, and he just like, hasn't been able to bring himself to draw his gun on anyone since until And the movie ends with Carl, Carl, who by the way was left like hanging from a chain. How did Carl get down 20 feet above the ground? And and how did Carl not die? (laughs) And and then once he didn't die, how did Carl get down from that chain? Can you explain that to me? How would you get down by yourself? Right. It's not possible. McLean, you got some explaining to do. He was left unconscious, unconscious, hanging from like a chain. He looked as dead <laughs> as his brother did when McLean broke his brother's neck. No. No. And then, by the he way, he's a great meathead, though. He Carl's is. a great yeah. meathead. By the way, uh, Reginald Vell Johnson, you could tell he hasn't pulled a gun on anyone for like 10 years because he took him like four shots, like one in the shoulder, one yes. he missed. And then he finally gets the one in the heart on Carl. So, uh, my favorite character in this movie was. 
legendary TV and movie police officer Reginald Del Johnson. So the the main characters are all great. So, you know, Hans is fantastic. Hans is great. Yeah, exactly right. I'm going to go, though, just to go a little bit off the map a little bit with a guy who didn't have a huge role, but his dialogue, again, was great. And he plays a great and this guy was great at playing the buffoon. Deputy Chief Dwayne T. Robinson. This is Deputy Chief Dwayne T. Robinson. He is that that character. Which I think that guy played in the Breakfast Club yep. as well. It's basically, the same character. He's it's the, the same. Paul Gleason. Yeah, yeah Paul Gleason. He, he's just it's it's just a great inept. I'm in charge here. You don't. Now, McLean, you got explaining to do it. And then of course he, the guy comes out. Carl comes out and gets shot. The, the best exchange is when I he, just love it. The FBI is about to show up, and like someone. So he, so Paul Gleason and Reginald Vell Johnson are arguing over everything. Yes. And someone says, "Hey, the the feds are on the phone." And he goes, and Paul Gleason goes, "The FBI." <laughs> And Reginald, like, he kind of perks up, like, oh, like, and Reginald Vell Johnson goes, you want a breath mint? Yeah. Oh, it's <laughs> yeah. so great. But anyway, that that character, a small bit character, because of the way it's played, yes. it's just outstanding. Yeah. All right, Dex, your favorite character? Argyle, dude. I loved Argyle. That's another great one. He, he, Why yeah. did he wait so long? Like, it, he, he probably sat there for, like, Because he didn't hear anything. Yeah. He didn't hear a thing. Yeah, at first he started. Run he, DMC was blaring the whole time. Was he being paid to sit there the whole time? He was supposed to go somewhere. He, yeah. He said, my, my boss thinks I'm where? Going to Vegas. Going to Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. So he was his like first supposed time to... driving the limo, too. Yes. Yeah. He was phenomenal. At first, he comes off as this annoying little pesky yes. driver. He's like, I used to drive a cab. Like, I love chat and blah, blah, blah. Sure but then, he, but then, yeah, it plays an integral part at the end of the movie. I thought it was awesome. He was super funny. He had a lot of good one-liners. Uh, yeah. Argyle, without a doubt. Sitting there with, with the uh, stuffed bear the whole time? Yes. <laughs> In the backseat. Um, You're right. That's another great character. Before we get to our definitive bad guy rankings and then our 1 through 10 Seagal ranking scale here, I have to give another shout out quick. If you love this movie, if you love Die Hard, <laughs> if you've been a fan and and you've made it this far into this podcast, by the way, you are clearly a fan of Die Hard. There is a local production every December and they run it for like three weeks. And Josh Carson is the head of this production at Bryant Lake Bowl every year. It's called a very Die Hard Christmas. And it's like it's a. It's a spoof play on Die Hard, and they update a lot of the lines every year to reflect like what's happening in pop culture and stuff. Awesome, and it's it's outstanding. I've probably seen it like eight or nine times in my life, and uh, I highly recommend you go check it out at Bryant Lake Bowl at some point. Quick Cheap question: plug. Not getting paid to plug it. I, just, I think it's amazing. <laughs> does does getting off a plane, taking off your shoes and socks, and balling your feet up in the carpet does that really help? Never tried it. Don't try it. Never Either. tried it. Don't, Don't do try that. it. Don't do that. No, no, no. Getting off. No, no, no. Going home. Mm-hmm. So you're home. You get off the plane. So you're gone. But but the guy, the first line of the entire film is in order because yeah. McLean does not like to fly. The guy says, take off your shoes and socks and put your feet in a ball, curl your feet up and yeah. it'll help you. Relax, which is why McLean, the entire movie then, subsequently, does not have shoes and if socks he, if, on. It's funny. If he hadn't sat butterfly effect, right? If he hadn't sat next to that guy on the plane, he probably doesn't have his shoes off throughout the entire No, he doesn't movie. for sure. No, the guy mm-hmm. told him probably to relax. operates at a faster pace. Exactly right. Gets more done. So, all right. I think I know the answer to this, but definitive bad guy rankings. This is the order in which we have the previous action movie villains ranked. Number one, Cyrus the Virus from Con Air. Mm-hmm. Number two, Brad Wesley from Roadhouse. Number three, Mr. Joshua from Lethal Weapon. 
Number four, Ivan Drago from Rocky Four. Number five, Dennis Hopper from Speed. Then we go rogue CIA agent James Monroe from The Expendables, angry terrorist Ivan from Air Force One, corrupt senator from Hard to Kill, the aliens in Independence Day, Chong Lee from Bloodsport, Bennett from Commando, Bodie from Point Break, General Hummel from The Rock, Sloan from Wanted, and the incompetent Russian military from Rambo 3. This is there any debate? This isn't hard. Hans Gruber. You know what? One. He's number one. Number Cy- one. Cyrus, you're great. You're fantastic. There's no debate here. Kind of, kind of similar in that they, Hans Gruber and Cyrus the Virus both have organizational skills. They're both great leaders, evil great leaders. They both have some charm and personality to their characters, but Hans Gruber's number one. Both of those guys played their roles to absolute perfection, I think. Yes. I agree with that. Like, if you replaced Malkovich... Or Rickman, and you put in actor B. And let's say that guy's good. He's not even close to this, right? I want my detonators. My detonators. All right, a 1 through 10 Seagal ranking system. Here's how we have the action movies ranked to this point. The top five in order, Commando is the number one action movie we have reviewed so far. A 9.2 composite score out of 10. The Expendables, number two. Roadhouse, number three, Hard to Kill, number four, with Steven Seagal, and Rocky Four rounds out the top five. The uh, From the bottom, the worst ones we have reviewed so far, Bloodsport. You guys inexplicably put Bloodsport at the bottom. That's it's like good. an eight for me. There was a good reason for that. Wanted, that was a rocky start for us, by the way. I disagree. I think Bloodsport, I think Bloodsport is first, fantastic. No, it was pretty funny. Bloodsport, Wanted, Rambo 3, Air Force 1, surprisingly low on the scale. That might have been, Rami might have voted that low, too, when he was doing this with us. I was going to say, I rock. didn't. I don't think I did. So um, how would you rate? 1 through 10 Seagulls. How many Seagulls are you giving This is it? a 10. Dude, it's a 10. Like, I can't not I agree. It's it a 10. 10. It's a 10 across the board. It's no doubt a 10. It's our first 10. Congratulations. Dex is right. Hard. It's a little bit long, and I didn't care. Yeah, it was a little long, but I it was like fine. the running time. You're like, oh, this is going to be fairly long. Yeah, and and the buildup, the dialogue, like there was nothing where you said that scene was stupid, right? Yeah, I, I'm with you. Like I to mean, axe was... out a scene, if if you had taken out a, a scene, I can't think of one where I thought, just take this scene out. Why yeah. are you even doing this? There's really no, like the only little nitpicks. Yeah, you know, I gave you two of them. Well, right. There's no like real inherent. Laws outside of like movie logic, you know, you could look at some of these and say like some of the other ones that we've that we've given some dings to. You could say um, like Rocky Four. Um, okay, well, Rocky Four is great, but over the top, corny in some ways. Like Die Hard is corny enough, right? And the, also a good enough movie. Don't it's you the think the acting? There, there was nobody. I don't think who was given some substantial dialogue. Who you thought this guy? Or gal sort of sucks. Yeah. So that's it. That's our first ten. We've we've that's we've bra- stumbled upon. Bravo and Declan, congratulations. No yeah, longer I a diehard it. virgin. I loved it. Congratulations, and I'm glad. And Appreciate I it. I just hope that you can now go back time and time again. Thank you. And watch Die Hard. This, by the way, has become. We started doing Good these. Pixel. This is our 16th action movie rewind. We started doing these when COVID wiped out sports in March. And said we we all just when we, when we had the full score North staff still. <laughs> yes. We all put our heads together and said. All right, uh, we gotta we gotta come up with some content ideas here mm-hmm. because there's not going to be sports for a long time, and there really still aren't sports. And this has become our most downloaded podcast every single week. Every Friday, we see download spikes thanks to you guys who listen. 
because of Action Movie Rewind. So we're going to keep it going. Even when sports come back, don't worry. Action Movie Rewind will definitely stay part of the Mackie and Judge show. Judd, I believe it's your turn, no, right? Or is it Declan's, Declan's turn? turn. Me. Declan, okay. It's me. So I have a couple options here. Um, this I haven't seen this movie. And it came out just a couple years ago. And it does, it does classify as an action film. But I never saw Baby Driver. Okay, I have not seen Baby Driver yet. Um, it has John Hamm in it. Um, I, I, I've, I've heard good things. I've, the only thing that I, I've heard a knock is, is there is, there's a lot of action, but there isn't a lot of dialogue. Like there isn't a lot of oh, dialogue ouch. in the film, okay. which could okay. be, which could be an issue. What yep. are some of the other ones? Um, I do love no country for old men. Ooh. I'd love to rewatch that one. It, I think that might be over our two hour time limit. I know that's a gray area. And then I was with you on Casino Royale for, for last wow. week before uh, I had the trumpet with Die Hard. So that also is over two hours, but I think much like Die Hard. It's, it's 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 fine. You're not going to get done with that movie and be like, "Geez." But I am also open to suggestions as well. Well, my my goal last week before Declan brought up that he hadn't seen Die Hard was going to be, "Hey, let's do Judd's first Bond movie." Sure. And I was choosing between Goldfinger, which is really old school Sean Connery, mm-hmm. or Casino Royale, which is the first Daniel Craig Bond movie. Let's do that one then. Let's do it. Let's Casino have Judd Royale. watch a Bond movie. I love okay. it. Also, Casino Royale is kind of like in Bond book sequence is actually a prequel to all the other Bond movies. Yes. It's him as a new 007. Okay. So it's a good jumping off point. Small tease. Big fan of Daniel Craig. I think next week I, I might um, suggest that we do our first sequel. Okay. Not you, have one, se- you have one in mind? We've not done a sequel yet. Uh, I've got a few in mind. Well, we've done we've done a couple sequels. Well, we've done. We did Rambo three and Rocky four. Right, right. But no. But I'm saying a follow up to one that we've we already have done. done already. Oh wow. No, no. Yeah. Wow. So, so I am saying that you know, Die Hard two, Lethal Weapon two, because there, there, there's a bunch of, I believe now of the sixteen films that we've done. I think there's a few sequels that are available. Okay. So I'm thinking about a sequel. All right, I'm here. For but that. that's next Friday. So. Casino Royale. Casino Royale with nice. Daniel Craig is is next week's action movie rewind, and uh, we appreciate you guys uh, for giving us a Friday download spike on this segment. Too. This was fun, super fun. This fun. was a great. This was a lot of fun. I wanted this to be professional, efficient, adult, cooperative. Not a lot to ask. Alas, your Mister Takagi did not see it that way, so he won't be joining us for the rest of his life. <laughs> we can go anywhere you want. You can walk out of here or be carried out. But have no illusions. We are in charge. All right, Patrick Royce, what's happening with you on this Friday? Well, I, uh, I'm sitting here contemplating uh, another gorgeous day in Minnesota and how we let these pass without taking advantage of them here. We got we, we should do something today. I don't know what, but we should do something. Should this we? is the greatest four-month stretch of baseball weather oh, Minnesota yeah. has ever seen. Stop. I know. I know. It really irritates me, doesn't it? Because, as I've been saying, next year, April 14th, 13 inches of snow. Yep. And the Twins will be scheduled for home and lose three games. And when they do play, it'll be 29. And the wind will be buffeting. We'll yep. never have this again. You guys, Judd will never have this again. You might be young enough to have it again. I, I certainly <laughs> will never have a, a spring and summer like this again in my entire life. And the great thing about it is we're not getting much rain, but we just get a little enough every once in a while. But every five days, it gets clouds up and we'll get a little bit of a rain. But beyond that, it's fantastic. Yeah, two, and, uh, two nights back at, at the ball game, Pat, 
that that they played. I mean, it yeah. was the it was the quintessential perfect Minnesota summer night. Do you know that if this club was anywhere near as good as it was supposed to be, and with the weather oh. they have, they'd be on their way to about two point eight million. Mm-hmm. I think they 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 would have had. There was a weekend a couple of weeks ago. They would have been sold out three straight games. I can't remember even who the opponent was, but it would have been uh, it would have been amazing. It is uh, it is tragic that uh, we didn't get to see this lineup play in a in a real in a real game and in, in the weather that we've had. It's been unbelievable. Well, the season does start in a week. The Twins have a game in a week yeah. from now, so I mean it's it's weird and. It's it's the most unique year that I can ever remember. Um, how excited are you for baseball to come back in in this I'm, odd form? I'm get I'm getting better. I'm getting better. I was uh, you know I was shrugging it off, but then I noticed that the Cubs and the White Sox have a have an exhibition game on Sunday night. Uh, is it Sunday? Sometimes Sunday it's on TV. You know? I can't wait. <laughs> You know, I, I'll be watching the Cubs and the White Sox exhibition on Sunday. I think it's on ESPN. I'm, I'm not sure. Tuesday is Twins and Cubs. Yeah. Huh? Tuesday is the Twins and Cubs at in Chicago. Wednesday, right? Oh, wh- I'm sorry. Yes, Wednesday. 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 Yeah, yeah. Right. I, I know. I keep thinking I Tuesday. Cubs White Sox. By the way, look mm-hmm. out for the mighty Whitey. A lot of good young players. They added in, and they got N Cardacion and Abreu in the, in the middle of that lineup now. They need some pitching, uh, but, uh, you know, Kopech decided to take the world year off, but they probably weren't counting on him that much anyway because he, he had Tommy John, and they, they did have those, what, three Tommy John guys last year, and I don't know how they're back, but uh, they got a good young club, I think. The, uh, you know, Tim Anderson had a fantastic season. and uh, I, 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 I fear the Whiteys more than uh, the, uh, the Tribe. And you know who else isn't going to be as rotten as they were the Royals? I don't think. I I don't think the division's going to be brutal. I I don't I, you know the Tigers are obviously terrible, but I I I don't I think that uh, rolling through those teams like you did last year is not going to be quite as easy. Also worth noting that in normal 162 game seasons, oftentimes the division is decided by between you know three and five, or like last year the Twins. The Twins were eight games up on the Indians at the end of the season. Well, this yeah. is like thirty-eight percent or whatever of a full season. So just and, just by nature, things could get wonky and scrunched together. And they were tied for first on August eleventh, and that's when they uh, bombed the hell out of the the, uh, the Tigers and the White Sox. And uh, you know that you wear teams down, you know, and and that's what they did last year. And teams stopped playing, and they called them. They call them the dog days of August for uh, for a reason because the, the bad teams start really realizing how bad they all are. Now you have to give the white tigers credit; they realized it at the end of May. Yeah, <laughs> they were you know they were brutal the rest of the year. But uh, it's uh, there are no guarantees in this season. I I don't know. I'm not uh, people. Uh, it's it's um, it's. Uh, you no, know, no, given that they're going to uh, that they're just going to cruise to the division title because of this lineup. Uh, plus, don't you think? I think pitching is going to dominate the hitting. So, I, I think it will at first, is, Pat. Yeah, it will at first for sure. I, I heard uh, Spielberg, who's pretty good on MLB Now, 
uh, certainly uh, gives his opinions. And those guys are convinced that, uh, you know, this is going to be a year where the league batting average is about 228. Uh, because of, and not not only because of pitching being ahead of hitting, but the number of pitchers you're going to be able to use the first two weeks of the season. And then actually the next two weeks of the season, it's going to be that way too. We do have you do have to face three hitters though, right? That that rule yes. is in, right? Yes. That rule is in. They they went ahead and did that, so that that'll be interesting. I'm I'm in, I'm looking forward to seeing that. But yeah, I guess I'm uh, after grumping and expressing great skepticism and saying sixty games, who cares? I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready to watch some ball games. Yeah. Hey, you brought up. I have a random baseball question for you. You brought up Edwin Encarnacion's name with the White Sox, kind of a sneaky signing for them. He is 36, 37 years old. He's hit at least 30 home runs in eight straight seasons. He's on the verge, if, if, he, if he keeps playing at this level for like two or three more years into his late 30s, which is feasible because Nelson Cruz is doing it, he's going to get to 500 home runs. He's at 414 right now. Is Edwin Encarnacion a potential Hall of Fame candidate for you? I think in modern, uh, with the modern voters, yes. Uh, they, they don't, we do that. that. Us old, crusty SOBs are tougher, and we don't put as many people on the ballot. But uh, the the younger guys, uh, you know, who are taking over the voting process, which is the way the world works, that's fine. Uh, uh, they all put ten on the ballot, and uh, you know, they they're, they they the the guys who are in the middle uh, get the votes. And still, that threshold is uh, tough, though. I get is it it's seventy five or seven is seventy percent seventy percent. Yep. Right? That's a tough threshold. He's, right. he's going to hit 500 home runs. He's never finished in the top 10 in MVP voting, and he's going to hit. He's got a great home run trot too. What he does, the parrot on the, the end. Par- yeah, and, and you know what else? We've seen it in Target Field. Oh God, <laughs> yeah, a couple times. Remember that? Remember that first? Uh, that uh, was it. The last weekend in in was it 2010 or 2000 when they first came here, and uh, he had five that weekend. He had five. He and Batista had had both had big weekends. (laughs) Well, Batista, I think, is number one uh, still on the opponents list, uh, most ever. Salvador Perez is up there too, but Salvador gets the player, you know, nine ten times. Got here player nine ten times a week, but and Carnacion never did. But he's hit, I think, sixteen or seventeen in uh, in Target Field, and uh, Batista. I mean, Batista did, and and Carnacion did double. Yeah, he got popped. He got popped. He's in Baltimore, right? Yeah, at the time. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, no, he probably won't. And that was what is it? Seven, six, seven years ago, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a long, long time ago. You know what's amazing about Nelson Cruz? Look how old he was when he broke in. Like twenty nine I mean, or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was. He, he got a shot, but it was. He was about twenty seven or eight when he really started getting a full time shot. He's go, going to play till about. Uh, 45 at this rate, too, Patrick, because if the National <laughs> League adopts the DH, 
this guy is in incredible shape. I, I bet you he plays five more years minimum. Mm-hmm. You know what? A lot's been written about him here and a lot's been written everything, but he's still kind of this mysterious character. Uh, he's just this, uh, you know, guy who people come to and the, and the young Latin players love him and, uh, you know, he feeds them. He, he probably won't be able to feed them this year, though, right? Because they won't be allowed to bring it to right. outside the Correct. Outside target field or all. But last year, uh, you know, every day at 4.30, they'd come rolling in with this uh, with these trays of food from outside the ballpark and uh, it was Spanish. It was Hispanic food that uh, he liked and uh, he liked and uh, all the, the young Latin guys, anybody was invited to eat it, but the young Latin guys would go back there. That was their pregame meal, and he, he does he does stuff like that. Boy, you're thinking about I I did a piece on Duffy for tomorrow. I got to talk to him on the phone. But you think about, the, the, the you know, the money a guy like him's losing. Uh, last year, the, the, the you know, the contract he signed here. But you also think about the guys who finally get paid, right, a little bit. Duffy, Trevor May, these guys finally get a little money, and now they're not getting any money, right? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they got over the bill, those guys, and now they're not even uh, – uh, was it? was it May's, uh, May's quote the other day was he – he wants to get the seven figures, you know, because he thought he was going to make it this year, but then, then he doesn't. Uh, does you know what? Has our attitude since the start of last season changed about anything as much as it's changed about the Twins bullpen? Um, Remember, yeah. I mean, we were in a panic, and then in April it wasn't that good, and we were in a panic, and now you think that's the strength of the club. Uh, at least at the, the front four, because I put Latell in that group. I like him a lot. He's just a hard thrower guy, but I love uh, I love Duffy and I love May and I love Rogers and and you got those four guys and then you got you know Romo and Clippert and you got the other guys are more interchangeable, but they got four guys that can pitch those last three they innings. They do. They can. Uh, they can. They can win the World Series. They can win the World Series with that yeah, bullpen. They, if they stumble in there, if they stumble, uh, you know, if, 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 they, if they get rolling and get hitting and, uh, you know, stumble in there. And you know what? When those playoffs come in, comes in October, if they're in them, and after this glorious spring and summer we have, it's going to be 28 degrees. Yes, it will be. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll get snowed on every bleeping day. Yep. When they're at home, we're, we're going to have the worst fall in the history of Minnesota weather. In fact, uh, well, the good news is the World Series will be finished before Halloween, so we can't have a 31-inch blizzard anyway. So. Yep. Amen. All right, Pat, we'll talk to you next week. Enjoy the day, right, Royce. Yeah. See ya. Oh, what, a, what a lovely day. Goodbye. All right, see ya. That's uh, wrapping with Royce every day here, or every, uh, I should say, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday here on Mackie and Judd. All right, that's a wrap for us. We'll be back next week, and next week is the first week of Twins baseball, at least Leading up to the first. Just knock on wood when you baseball. say that, okay? I will. I'll knock on wood Thank here. you. you know, we're, we're doing pretty well. Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, pretty <laughs> Thanks, good. Larry. Right, see you guys. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 Each Sale. 
Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.